This is Talking Aerospace Today, the podcast for the aerospace and defense industry and the trends that drive the digital enterprise, a place that brings the promise of tomorrow's technology to the ears of our listeners today. And I'm your host, Scott Salzweedel. Welcome to episode four of our five-part series. In this episode, addressing electrical design compliance and certification, we'll be looking at how the traditional approach to compliance is no longer an option, especially with increased complexity everywhere you look. We know this is a time of great innovation and transformation for the industry. And when it comes to electrical system design and development, there's a lot to talk about. Before we begin, a reminder that our previous episode touched on change management. I urge you to give that episode a listen. You'll find Talking Aerospace Today podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you go to listen to your favorite podcast. Okay, I'm excited to get started. In this episode, I'll be talking with Steve Caravella, a solutions architect from the capital team at Siemens Digital Industry Software, and Tony Nicoli, the aerospace and defense director of integrated electrical systems for Siemens Digital Industry Software. Tony and Steve love to carry on about how the digital transformation is affecting the industry. Should be a great conversation. Okay, let's talk compliance. Steve, I'll start with you. The one thing we can say about compliance today is that the regulations are far stricter than, say, 20 years ago. In the mid-1990s, we experienced a major turning point. There were a bunch of mishaps that caused the FAA to tighten things up. There were really a couple of events that were catalysts for that. Um, there was the TWA out off the East Coast. That uh, conclusion was it was some ignition source that uh, ignited the fuel tank and blew the airplane apart. It was that. It was a Swiss Air MD-11 that had a fire in the overhead due to in-flight entertainment wiring. Unfortunately, you know, there was a, a combination of things. It was the wiring shorted, created the spark. They had capped on installation there, which, uh, you know, wasn't fire resistant enough. Yeah. And if you look at the TWA 800, that was in 1996, right? And it wasn't long after that, that the EWIS regulations became much more stringent and people doing new projects had to comply with them. I remember distinctly after those events and they, they traced them to wiring, the level of scrutiny and expectation for the design and the design data really started going up. And Steve, with these tighter restrictions, how did it change your job? What that led to was really the, the level of detail integrity of the engineering data had to go way up. Mm-hmm. So at this time, and, and again, we were doing this project, and it was the first one where the scrutiny was coming into play. And I remember that we wrestled quite a bit with how to how to do that. And you know, when you when you get into the physical routing, I mean, that's more of a mechanical design aspect. Of course, you need to know what's in the wiring from an electrical design standpoint. You know, but we debated: do we do we use a two D CAD system and, and make drawings? Do we do it in three D space? And again, keep in mind too that this was before model based design really was established. So, you know, it was, it was a tough challenge because you're looking at literally hundreds of engineering hours now to draw the wire routing and clamping positions and whatnot. Whereas before, you know, the installers on the airplane would just follow general 
basically general good practices guides to do it. You can imagine the cost impact of doing that. And of course, now, you know, we've, we've got model-based design, so people are more accustomed to the modeling. We've got better electrical design tools. Yes, the model-based design approach in capital has made life easier for electrical engineers throughout the industry, no doubt about it. But before we talk about capital and accelerator, I want to focus on aircraft complexity and how that affects certification. Tony, what are the methods used today to address increased complexity when it comes to compliance? When we actually started to interview a number of customers before we started to address this problem in the context of the electrical systems development flow, what we discovered was that most of the methods that people were using to analyze compliance to the regulations and then report them out were disconnected from the development process, right? They would, people would do the design in one environment, but then they had completely different environments, often old, old environments or Excel-based environments, you know, VAX and Excel-based kind of analysis tools to actually ensure that they were meeting some of the analytical needs like electrical load analysis and that sort of thing in their companies, right? And then they had yet another environment, a third environment, where they take all that analytical data and reduce it and produce reports that could be consumed by the DERs and the ARs who were actually providing the oversight and the approval at the end of, of the process to check off at least that aspect of moving towards type certification. And this was a very long process. You know, it was like weeks and weeks. So what would happen, what what what, the, what we were told would happen is that people would be doing a design, they'd put a line in the sand on a rev, and they'd send it off for compliance cert evidence analysis, right? Meanwhile, they'd go off and continue to evolve the design. This analysis took six weeks and discovered it was a problem. They'd come back and, and the design had diverged to the point where there was substantial iteration required in order to address the problem that was found during the certification analysis. All those separated and disconnected environments. So what did you tell your customers? So the approach we took was actually to work towards allowing people to exploit the electrical digital twin or the essentially the model that is derived or developed and enriched of the electrical system as design goes forward and integrate the analytical tools associated with doing design and analysis such that it those analytical tools would directly access that digital twin as the designer modifies it, right? So that the, uh, the certification analysis would be done uh, nearly, con- well, contemporaneously, nearly instantaneously. They could go make a change and they could then, as part of the their own verification of that change, run the certification analysis and see the result, right? And I call it exploiting the the configuration control digital twin because as the designer makes these changes, right, they can save different versions and actually keep track of those versions and then then have the analytical results that correlate to those versions on hand. So what we're talking about here is how the electrical digital twin can help with the certification process, how teams can run a certification analysis and then keep and share different versions. Yeah, and there's another aspect of doing this in a model-based environment that has built-in automation, is that you can use design constraints and design rules to get, like, the big things. Let's say you have an obvious separation requirement, okay? 
that between two signals, two different types of signals, that you can actually have the tool continuously monitor the distance between those signals. And when you inadvertently violate that, it can tell you so that you catch that before you have to run any verification at all, right? And so other things like that can actually be programmed in to your your design environment kind of becomes your coach, right? The the guy that's looking, the computer's looking over your shoulder to make sure that you don't make the wrong play, right? As you actually start doing some of these innovative changes. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a huge capability. Because, you know, as much as you try to educate your design teams, get them following the rules, I mean, you got to put yourselves in the shoes of the design engineer for a second. Yeah, and that process makes total sense because, frankly, we're just not, humans just aren't good at that detailed checking. We're not built for that. We're good at, at doing things that come out of our evolution, right? Seeing threats and running away or capturing prey, one of the two. And you can think of innovation like that, right? Coming up with new ideas and applying them. Uh, but doing routine tasks over and over again is just something that make we're error prone at. And so if you can have a, a, a digital wingman, right, to actually help you not miss those tiny things that you might forget at the, at the 11th hour when you're trying to make that change that just came in. I think it's a it's a huge boon, and it reduces the cost and the risk associated with the overall program. You know, because all the and, and these days the risk of missing a certification issue has has really gone up. You know, there's been an uh, increasing number of incidents, and it's on people's minds. So I think that people's attention to uh, regulatory compliance is only increasing as as we go into 2021 here. So your design team, you know, they're they're smart people. They're somewhat versed in the regulatory requirements, and there's there's practices and methods that companies adopt to. It's 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 think of it as there's a process they follow and some rules in their design approach to really address and, and prevent problems with uh, the certification piece, the compliance piece. So you can, you get your engineers to follow this, right? And they will find things and they fix them, and and you have your DERs review it before it gets released. So again, they find things and you can fix them while it's still on paper or while it's, you know, still a, a, in a model in a computer. The trouble is, is that that's only so effective. Inevitably, and, and hopefully it's not the major things, right? You find these things once you have things built or as you're building or, you know, even worse, as you're testing, you know, and, and let me talk about that process a little bit, right? So when you're going for type certification, you're really having to do the test twice. Well, three times. Let me say three times. So what you're going to do is you release the design, you're going to build your hardware, and then you're going to do development testing, right? Does this work how I want it to work? Does it function the way the customer wants it to function, right? And then you're also going to look at, is this going to meet the regulations? So you do that, and, and usually you're iterating your design, and you're maturing it, at some point, you're going to get a mature design and, and you're going to update your, your test articles. At that point, the FAA is expecting you to fully run the certification test as a company and pass it before they're going to come and spend their time to watch it. The FAA. We haven't talked too much about these guys. Tony, what's been your experience with the FAA? I never did the work with the FAA, but I used to do it with the uh, the defense acceptance authorities, right? 
And the guys that I would work with for acceptance testing and then sign off and selling of our systems, they always wanted information in a particular format, right? If, if you were outside of the, the regular format that they used or they were used to, maybe they wouldn't reject what you discussed, but it was a lot harder. It took a lot more time, a lot more effort to convince them that what you were saying was correct. And they, it stands to reason, right? They, they know their format. They can assimilate it in their environment. And the thing about that is that you have to take all this analytical information that constitutes the evidence of compliance and cast it into the reporting format. And that can take four to six weeks to do that on a manual basis on its own, right? So one of the things right. that, that we went after was to actually, I mean, we're in a digital environment. You have a digital twin. You've got a digital thread. Use it, right? Use it. So we created this ability to put these templates together so that you could actually sit down with, with the person that's going to come in and look at your evidence and say, well, what's the best way for you to understand it? Not from the perspective of you're going to influence this guy to make a wrong decision. It's, it's really to provide him with the easiest way to make a, a good decision about whether this thing complies or not. And once you get that codified, you save that as a template, right? And then you just, you can run that analysis over and over again and just automatically populate that template and put it out there, right? And everybody can then can standardize, right? on a format that is easily generated, consistent with what the regulatory uh, representative is going to use to make his decision, and something that you can all use over and over again very quickly. And when I say quickly, I mean like in minutes you get a report, not weeks. It's so important to standardize. That's one way to meet compliance as complexity grows. And I think we've talked about how the digital twin and digital threat can help standardize operations. Right. And, and that's something that I, th I think we don't always, it doesn't come to the front of our mind when we're thinking about this and even talking about compliance, but achieving a level of standardization that leverages pulling information straight from the system, uses information straight from the system. Once you standardize something that is found to be acceptable, right, then it, it's available and it's easy for people to use. And you have a high degree of confidence that the the method you're using, the analytical method you're using, the the way you're presenting it in the templates is going to be good. So there is there are a couple other things points I want to make. One is that the, there is a case of a customer of ours that had to learn the hard way to use model based techniques, right? And it actually motivated them to move entirely to a digitalized process for electrical development. And that in that case, this customer was doing a very time and cost sensitive variant on a commercial aircraft, customizing it for a defense application. And they were under the gun, right, to their DOD customer. And they ended up doing the development, they ended up designing the whole electrical system, and they designed a lot of the mods. And they tried to get a jump on the production phase of the program. And so they built six aircraft. And by the time they got the sixth one done, they discovered a critical compliance issue with a signal separation problem that could not be easily retrofit. And so they had to go back and redesign the electrical system for all, for, for that whole production run, right? And then they had to retrofit every one of those aircraft and it ended up costing them literally 
billions of dollars to not just go find the problem, redesign it, but then to do all of the certification work again, all the testing work again, and then all the retrofit work on those six aircraft. The whole point of that story is that not being able to do this kind of virtual integration and virtual compliance testing think of that think of advanced analysis right on the on the entire electrical system as a, a way of doing virtual testing right it's very high stakes especially when you're doing programs that are just major variants to what you to a significant platform and i know i'm not i'm being a little cryptic because i'm not allowed to say who that is all right but it, it's a serious issue and it can have serious implications for the company a really good example, Tony. I think our listeners get the idea without you having to name names. So the other thing I wanted to mention is that this work is really in its infancy. You know, it's really only in the last, I'd say, three to five years that the aerospace and defense industry has really gotten, has really prioritized moving to model-based approaches for electrical system development overall. In, in our work, it's only in the last three years that we've gotten to the maturity of integrating analysis with this uh, seamlessly into the, into the digital twin and accessing the digital twin this way. And I think there's a lot of room to grow here and a lot of productivity and improvement to be had. You know, right now we're focused on things like electrical load analysis, wire derating and signal separation checking, but I think there's a, there's a lot of headroom, right? These are just three aspects of uh, electrical system certification, and there are many that we haven't even touched yet. Tony, we've been talking about compliance and how the digital enterprise, which includes Siemens Accelerate Portfolio, can alter the landscape for our customers. The one thing we haven't touched on is platform differentiation through electrification and how that affects compliance. Electrical increasing in importance in platform development and in platform differentiation, right? The missions that people need to accomplish with their platform are getting much more complicated, they're much more ambitious, and the capabilities that OEMs are putting into the platform necessitate electrical systems, more software, more communication networks. All these things are adding to electrical system complexity and it's driving the difficulty of ele the electrical portion of the compliance activity. Even if it's not like a, a brilliant function like fly-by-wire, right? Or, you know, new communications capabilities. It, even if it's simply, I want to, I want to improve the reliability of my aircraft, right? Moving to electrical really reduces the amount of issues that come up in hydraulic, pneumatic, and mechanical systems, right? The hybrid systems are much more reliable. They're also lower weight because you don't carry around all that extra tubing, mechanical linkages. You do it with a much lighter wire. So there's a lot of advantages just in the base functionality of, of transporting things and the base uh, efficiency of the aircraft in going into these uh, electromechanical hybrid systems. Good point, Tony. All right, guys, really good stuff today, but I'm afraid we've run out of time. My sincere thanks to both of you. And of course, I'd like to extend my deepest thanks to our listeners. Thank you, listeners. I'm glad you tuned into this podcast. 
Now, at the top of the show, I mentioned we'll be doing a five-part series on the evolution of electrical system design in aerospace. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to check out previous shows, please take a look at the links in this podcast description. Be sure to subscribe to Talking Aerospace today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you go to listen to your favorite podcast. Subscribe now and you won't miss a single upcoming episode. Our next episode will be our final episode. Already? The topic will be on wire harness manufacturing profitability. It's going to be a great conversation. My name is Scott Salzweedle, and this is Siemens Talking Aerospace Today. I hope you'll join us again for our next podcast. Until then, bye for now.